Hello one and all and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. In this episode I'm joined by the one and only Flora Duffy. What can I tell you about Flo? Well, she's probably the best triathlete in the world right now, having won the gold medal in the women's event at the Tokyo Olympics. In our chat, we talk about the moment she realised she was going to win, the deafening silence of the crowdless event, and how that was juxtaposed with the celebrations in her homeland. We also chat about the whirlwind of press attention in the aftermath of winning in Tokyo. We discuss post-race snacks, and you might be surprised to find out what her favourite is. And given the fact she's from the island of Bermuda, can I possibly resist the urge to make triangle-related jokes? There's only one way to find out. To get out of your wetsuit, transition smoothly to your podcast robe and slippers, sit back and enjoy the pod. You know it's that time again. Flora Duffy became Bermuda's very first Olympic gold medalist when she romped home to claim the women's triathlon title at the recent Tokyo Games. She's also the current ITU triathlon world champion. She's been ex-Terra triathlon world champion five times and has a Commonwealth Games title to her name too. She's done some wonderful charity work in aid of sport in Bermuda and in 2018 she received an OBE for her contribution to sports in her country. But what kind of animal would she ride if all animals were horse-sized? Check it out. Flora, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, Before we crack on with our conversation, with our chat, could you kindly tell us where in the world you are and what you can see immediately around you? Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm here in Boulder, Colorado, and... um, I'm sitting in my bedroom, so I'm just looking around at my clothes that should be packed away in my cupboard, but they're all over my floor. <laughs> right. So, is, are you? Is there? A, is it a windowed room? Can you see out? Do you have any nice views? Yes, I do have a nice window with a big tree actually outside, and uh, the leaves have just ever so slightly started to turn. Oh, lovely! Since we're entering fall, so yeah, it's going to get really pretty quickly, and then they're all going to drop. And then we have to rake them all. That's not yeah. the fun part. No. F- funnily enough, Flora, without getting too kind of dull, I was actually out on my little patio um, just before this podcast, sweeping up the leaves, actually, which um, we had to do very pretty regularly at, at the moment because they're all falling all over the place. Actually, what, what is your favourite season? You know, because the fall is, is, is absolutely beautiful, isn't it? But what is your favourite season of the year? Yeah, fall is absolutely beautiful. Um with the leaves changing color and the crisp mornings and throughout the day. Um, but my favorite summer is my, is definitely season is summer. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not a huge fan of the cold. Right. So yeah. When it's nice and warm, sunny, blue skies, hot, that's, yeah, that's my jam. I, I think, I think there's something, I think I'm kind of similar to you, but there's something, that the sunshine gives you in terms of motivation as well. I mean, if you see a bright summer's day, even if you're having a bit of a tough time, it kind of lifts your spirits, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can notice myself dragging to get out of bed when just even now when it's just starting to shift, it's much colder outside. But I mean, yeah, on a warm summer's day, yeah, you're all motivated to get out there and just enjoy some trading and some good weather. Great stuff. Well, well, I think we need to start off by talking about um, recent events. Uh, basically, I mean, you're you're the Olympic champion 
uh, triathlon. I mean, an absolutely uh, stunning, stunning achievement. But my first question to you, Flora, is in the intervening time between you winning that gold medal in, in Tokyo, how has your life changed since, since winning gold? Oh, wow. Yeah, since winning gold, um, gosh, it's probably coming up to, I don't even know, two, three months ago. Um, anyway, it's two months ago. It's been really crazy. Such a whirlwind. Um, it's actually, to think it was only two months ago, it feels so much, so much longer ago because so much has happened. Um, I keep telling my husband, Dan, that I feel like I'm living in like the fast forward world, like like my fingers on that fast forward button and yeah. like my life won't slow down. Um I mean, it's all great and positive stuff and exciting, um, but it's definitely taken me a bit to get used to. And at the same time, okay, yes, you know, you win gold, you have all these amazing opportunities, so much media, um, you know, the spotlight's really on you. But then at the same time, at least for me with my personality, like I'm quite a quite a private person right? and uh, an introverted and you know, I was at the same time you have this crazy whirlwind and all these emotions, you're also trying to deal with all the emotions you were you had on you carrying into the event, if that makes sense. Like yes. I was very protected going right. into the Olympics in terms of how much pressure I was carrying, expectation, all of that. Yeah. I knew it was there, but I had a great team around me that didn't really, you know, let me know it was there. And right. then I crossed the line and everything hit me. Yeah, and it was just like five years of everything adding adding in all the COVID stress just hit me, and um, it knocked me so much that I just I felt like I was in this like haze. Yeah, for quite a few weeks there, whilst doing all these like um, all this media, of course, fun stuff. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it was crazy. I mean, through through that, I mean, this is a sometimes. It's a phenomenon that I've read about a lot recently in terms of elite athletes and their achievements and and moving on really, really quickly um, at a, quite a relentless pace in terms of, okay, one objective is achieved and then focusing on the next. Through all that kind of haze, um, have you managed to take time to reflect and actually, you know, c- consider it and enjoy, actually, that, enjoy your, your achievement? I think it, it's starting to sink in now because yes, it, it, it is from like one thing to the next. You you don't really have time to just, I don't know, just be at, be at your house or be somewhere you want to be and just let it sink in and just yeah. think about that whole buildup and the race and you know everything that it means. So for me, I got back from Tokyo and I had 10 crazy days of media and trying to figure out where in the world I was and what was going on and do (laughs) some training. And then I went straight to two race, two world triathlon races in Canada, which were the final two races of the series, which I was in the running to win and become world champion. Sure. And I thought, this is just crazy. I've just won Olympic gold. And here I am just like up onto the next thing. And, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's hard, I guess, you know, when it's like, when it's your career, there's a lot of financial incentive. Yeah. It's a great opportunity, right? Um, I've definitely learned this through all of my many injuries that when I'm, when I'm healthy and going well, I've just got to make the most of it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, off I went to Canada and 
yeah, definitely didn't really enjoy that experience at all. Um, I mean, I got it done. I won the world title. Obviously, yeah. it's a great achievement, but it didn't, it just, it hasn't really allowed me time to just really settle in and appreciate the winning Olympic gold and all that that means. So yeah. I think I'm starting to now because I've had a few quieter weeks, which right. has been really nice and so much needed. Yeah. And and, and what a, and what about that? I mean, it, that it's it's interesting that you quite clearly have that insight that you're aware that you couldn't enjoy it because there are, there are some athletes that are so kind of driven and so focused, not to say you aren't, but there's a psychological issue that comes into play when they're, uh, when they're so focused they can't actually – they're not even aware that they can't enjoy, but you clearly are. So how have you, it kind of, you, it, it's, I guess it's about regaining some sort of control, isn't it, really? And, th- and allowing that, do you know what? Okay, I'll finish racing now. This is about me now because of all the sacrifices that have led up to this, all the pressures you've just eloquently described. You know, you, I would imagine you do need to, to actually be quite proactive in finding that time and setting it aside and just enjoying it and bathing in that, in that glory. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so for me, when I, I I had scheduled to race the 70.3 World Championships, which were, what, just two days ago? Yeah. And uh, when I got back from Canada, and that was um, right at the end of August, it kind of only allowed me three or so weeks to train. Okay. And I just knew, I was like, I cannot do this. Like, I just need to take remove some races from my schedule yep. and just have a few weeks where I can just enjoy with friends, just get settled back almost into like my routine, which is, which is my way of taking control, right? Just get sure. into a little bit of my training routine, socialize with my friends, have, you know, have people over that, you know, more specifically celebrating winning gold and, um, yeah, so that was really nice. And, and during that time period, um, specialized, my um, bike sponsor had an event for me here in Boulder, handed me my like my gold medal bike, which yeah. was forever golden. And so I started to have moments like that. And, yeah. and I'm really glad that I took some racing off of my schedule because it allowed me to just focus on, in on everything that, you know, winning gold meant and just slowing down a little rather than having my eye on the, on the next prize. Yeah. And that was like really important for me Yeah, to just, yeah, regain control and just calm down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, talk about your, obviously your life has changed. You've, you're getting that control back. It's wonderful that you're enjoying it, but what about the reception in, in Bermuda? Because I know you're, you're very proud about your, your heritage, although you spent a lot of time in, obviously in the UK as well, but you are, you're, you're very proud about being from Bermuda. And of course it's a very small population. You know, you're, you're the, um, the only gold, I think it's the smallest country they ever win a gold medal, which is remarkable. I mean, what about the reception in, in Bermuda itself and, as a nation? How, how has that, how has that uh, gone down with you? Oh yeah, the reception in Bermuda has been crazy. <laughs> um, it was, um, yeah, everyone has just been so excited, um, which has been incredible to to sort of see and to hear everyone's reactions from that night when um, was yeah. I'm thinking of the time change. Yeah, it was a Monday night for them of when they were, you know, where they were watching how they were feeling, what it was like like when I crossed the line and like people were in their houses and they could hear everyone else in their houses around them, like (laughs) screaming and cheering and air horns going off. And I got calls from my brother who was in a local bar with a bunch of people 
and yeah. he'd had way too many drinks <laughs> and like just on FaceTime and all of his friends in the background, just like singing, chanting, um, going crazy. So yeah, it's definitely been pretty special to see that and see how much it's, it's meant to a lot of people because yeah, it is Bermuda's first gold medal. Yeah. And we have one previous bronze medal from the 1976 Montreal Olympics. Sure. So that's a long time between medals. And we yeah. don't go into every Olympics with a medal opportunity, someone that has, you know, the potential to win. So, you know, everyone definitely knew I had the chance and um, yeah, was really excited. And it was so cool. Yeah, just to see that reaction um, from everyone in Bermuda. Did, and did, so did, I'm actually, sorry? Sorry. I was just going to say, did you, you said you're quite introverted, but, you know, emotionally, I mean, you just describing that to me because I'm a big, I'm a fan of, you know, um, sport and what were the, the kind of rewards it can kind of give you and how positive, the kind of positive endorphins you can get off sport. But then there's another sort of endorphin. It's when you, you, you create joy for other people. And I was just wondering, as somebody who's quite introverted, um, how you kind of process that? Because, I mean, you're immensely successful anyway, but as we all know, an Olympic medal is another level entirely. It's, it's kind of tr- almost transcends sport, doesn't it, even though it is sport. But how did you kind of cope with the emotional side of seeing the joy that you had brought to not just a few other people in your family and close friends, but to a nation? Yeah, it, I mean, obviously, one, it's a very special thing to be able to do. And, I, yeah, I mean, sport can create those moments, um, you know, can really bind people together for a common purpose. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, it was almost too much to take in. Right. That you engage with it, but for it to fully realize that like, you know, I'm the one that, that did that. I don't think I would quite be able to grasp with that, all of that quite yet. Right. Um, But I am going back to Bermuda in um, about three weeks, four okay. weeks. And uh, I think then a lot might hit me. So I'm kind of preparing myself right. emotionally, mentally, and physically for everything that'll go on then. Um, you know, it'll be my first time going back since winning gold in Tokyo. And there's quite a few events planned. Um, unfortunately, COVID has kind of put a dampen on a few of them. We were meant to have a, a world triathlon race there, which has just been... Um, uh, postponed. Okay. Unfortunately. So that's kind of a huge bummer, but I think it'll still be, you know, really exciting to go home and just, I don't know, just doing my day-to-day things there. And, you know, a lot of people recognize me. And so just, yeah, I was soaking up everything, um, everything in Bermuda and hopefully it'll help me soak up the, and realize, you know, that I actually did win this gold medal yeah. in Tokyo. I think you're going to have to uh, set aside quite a lot of time to just <laughs> getting stopped in the street and selfies. I think uh, I know. It, it, it's, uh, but, and again, I, I guess as somebody who's quite introverted, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy it, but um, you know, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. But I think, yeah, having, maybe having this time to prepare yourself, is probably a good thing, isn't it? Rather than being the flying back from Tokyo, landing in Bermuda, being hit with this, with this kind of almost like a tsunami of, of emotion uh, to actually prepare oh, yourself, yes. gird yourself for it almost is, is probably a little bit of a good thing, isn't it? Oh yes, absolutely. No, I couldn't, I couldn't have gone back right after Tokyo. I was so exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I could not, I mean, cause I've won big races before, 
But I mean, as you said, like Olympics is just this next level. Yeah. And I just could not believe the amount of emotion, emotion that hit me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I basically, yeah, it would have been, I'm so glad I'm rested, recharged, and I'm like ready to go back to Bermuda and enjoy the moment. Brilliant stuff. Just just one more question before we maybe go back in time a little bit about your kind of the beginnings of, of your of your athletic career. You know your triathlon career. Who was the fir- who was the first person, Flora, that you that you called uh, after winning your medal in in all that exaltation and that haze that you described? Who was the first person that you spoke to? Well, so the first person. So I crossed the line, and then I was there at the venue for a really long time with media, press conference, drug testing. Sure. So my brother and my parents had called Dan, my husband, who was there, my coach. Yeah. And so they were the first people I spoke to. Right. And they called many times, like, because my brother had had quite a few drinks. (laughs) (laughs) So they were the first people I spoke to. And then when I got back to my hotel room, finally, hours later, yeah. Dan had received quite a few calls by this point because everyone kind of knows he's he's the one with the phone and I'm like all over the place. But when I got back to my hotel room, sat down, I called my friend Chelsea. Yeah. She was one of my training partners for the final seven weeks going into Tokyo. Okay. And uh, did every session together with like her and, and, and a friend, another friend, Joanna Brown. We did everything together. And they were just like, really were like, I was so, so special to have them here training with me to just obviously execute great training, keep me calm yeah, and keep it fun. So anyway, Chelsea was the first person I called. I video called her and just had the gold medal hanging up, and, you know, holding <laughs> it up brilliant. into the video. And yeah, she was pretty excited. Oh, that's really cool that you can kind of share that with somebody who um, kind of, yeah, like like you say, helps you helps you on your journey. And that was a really, a really important word for me that came out of what you just said was obviously protecting you. You know, you, you know, tr- having training partners is always great for motivation, but keeping it fun. Wow, that, that what mm-hmm. an important thing that's often missed out. And and I think I, I I'm kind of abreast of the triathlon scene a bit, you know, and um, and I've got. I think probably the most admiration for any sort of athlete because of the, um, just because of the, the three different disciplines and the different types of training that you have to do. And, and you often see triathletes as people who are kind of laser focused and maybe don't have kind of much fun. But for you, that, that clearly is because of the kind of burden of the pressure of being a favorite first off. And then, and then the, the kind of dedication, the sacrifice, it is so important, isn't it, to enjoy what you do. Even even with the loftiest of loftiest of goals and ambitions, fun actually, it's kind of you then question if if there's no fun there, why on earth are you doing it? So that's that's a massively important thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, if you have you know, you know, if you're enjoying doing the sport with the people that you're training with, and you're keeping it a fun light environment, yeah. it just completely changes. Um, at least for me, my whole emotional and mental stayed around and particularly for, you know, in, in those final seven weeks where, yeah, the pressure was definitely building. And instead of thinking about that, every time I went out to train, I was with my two friends chatting about anything and they're very fun characters, right? doing hard work, but it was kept fun and light. And it was just like the perfect thing that I needed at the time 
Um, and it's just, yeah, such a valuable, um, yeah, valuable aspect of training of, yeah, keeping it fun. I mean, that's ultimately why I do triathlon, right? Because I like yeah. it. It's fun. Yeah. So it was, yeah, just nice to be reminded of that. I mean, what you said that triathlon was fun. So at what point, let's, let's go back. At what point in your in your career, in your, in your life, actually, did you – did you kind of fall in love with triathlon? I mean, um, was it, did you swim first? Did you run first or did you ride a bike first? And, and, and when did that happen? So how did you kind of, uh, yeah, get involved in triathlon? Where, where was the seed? Uh, where was that cast as it were? Oh yeah. So I did my first triathlon in Bermuda at the age, I was either seven or eight. Wow, um, seven or eight. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's clean. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there's this, there was this local kids triathlon on uh, iron kids and it's still on today and they have like 500 kids that turn up and do it. It's so cool. Yeah. So I was in primary school. I, I ran, I was really into running okay. and I was in a local swim team and I knew how to ride a bike. So my parents signed me up for a triathlon and off I went and, uh, I did it. I loved it. I think I might have won my age group. Um, and then I joined a local triathlon club called Triheads, okay. and which again is still going today. And uh, that was kind of it really, just just loved it. I mean, it combined three sports that I, I really enjoyed, swimming, cycling, running. I had friends that did it. I mean, and Bermuda's a beautiful place with, I mean, a warm, sunny climate, beautiful water to swim in. Yeah. Um, and so it, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, it was in a great place to do triathlon and there was a local triathlon club with lots of friends. And so that's just kind of what I did. Okay. Um, my parents got involved and yeah, I did every local race, went down to triathlon training every mm-hmm. Saturday. Um, and at various times I did more swimming and like cycling sort of representing Bermuda a bit. Yeah. And then um, as I got older, I focused more and more into triathlon. And, um, and, and at what point did you, did you think this could be a career? Um, did, or, or at what point, rather than that question, at what point did you want it to be your career and you wanted to strive for that? Because that's, I guess, you know, the most important thing, yeah. isn't it? When did you, you obviously reached a point where you were, you realized you were very good or more than that. And, um, so when did that come? Because I know you, you studied hard, you went to university as well. So at what point was it like, okay, this is the path that I, that I want to take while, while I can, you know, while I'm young enough to be at, at my peak? Yeah, so that the first moment, moment of that would have been, I was either, uh, I think I was 16, maybe okay. 17. And I was still in Bermuda, just finished up while well, still in school, obviously. And, but I was really looking for something more. Like I knew I really wanted to pursue triathlon. And so it just really felt like kind of like a moment I needed to maybe get out of Bermuda and, you know, test myself against the rest of the world. And so I went to boarding school in England Okay. at um, Kelly College. It's now called Mount Kelly. They have a great swimming program and they had a small triathlon program. So I went there and that kind of just opened my eyes to a whole new level of, of training whilst managing studies. And then I got to race all of the local races around England, which was yep. great because, see, there's some very, very good uh, women that do triathlon in yep. England. So, yep. yeah, I got exposed to that. And that was sort of like, yeah, my first step in being like, okay, I want to try and pursue being 
a professional triathlete. Fantastic. Um, oh, sorry, uh, Flora, I can't, there's, there's something straight. Oh, Random question Something alert. strange going on Random in the background. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Well, there we go. Um, we have a random question to ask you. I'm sorry, I have no control, Flora, over when these drop in the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, I was forced by the people at Sigma Sports to install an old kind of Russian-style 80s computer in the corner of my room. It's fired up a question. I've torn it off. It's like a fax style. Are you ready for it? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Yeah, here we go. So, um, when was the last time you experienced nostalgia? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've got no control over these. So when was the last time, it happens to us all from time to time, but when was the last time you really felt that that kind of warmth of nostalgia? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is a good question. Well, everything of my whirlwind life the last few months, um, whirlwind nostalgia, I, I don't know. Okay. But... I suspect I will when I go back to Bermuda. Yes. And I think back to, wow, that was that eight-year-old girl doing her first triathlon. And I go to the beach I trained at, and here yeah. I am, Olympic champion. I yeah. think that is going to be one heck of a moment that will include a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. I, I can Even you just saying it now, you can kind of, I don't know, that, I guess that question kind of reminds you of what's to kind of come because you will feel that, won't you? you know, I'm not, when I, I've not even met you. And in my, in my mind, I'm kind of picturing you walking off the plane and going to these certain places, seeing places where you grew up. And then it's going to be powerful, isn't it? Because nostalgia can be, I wouldn't say overwhelming, just depends on it. But nostalgia is a wonderful thing. And in, the, in your particular situation, it's going to be immensely powerful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to get too kind of power, uh, sort of too deep here, but it's uh, uh, what a what a good question that was. Right now, what also I'd like to know about uh, Flora, um, nostalgia aside for a minute, although it might ultimately bring up a little bit of nostalgia, it's kind of recent. Is the race itself at the Olympic Games, how it kind of panned out, because as we as we all know, that people know who, who kind of watched it, there was this there was a storm that swept through, wasn't there? The uh, the Aqua Park or the where the triathlon was was being done or, or taking place. So the race itself was beset with kind of uh, riders crashing because the slippery conditions. But obviously, the race was a success for you. But how did it ultimately kind of pan out and just describe that final feeling when ultimately you knew you had enough in hand uh, to actually win? Yeah. So race day was completely opposite of what we were expecting. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tokyo in the summer when we'd done the test event, um, it was hot, humid, sunny. Everyone was preparing for extreme conditions. Yeah. And okay, we got extreme conditions, but on the other side of the spectrum, when we woke up and there was a tropical storm or a typhoon passing by Tokyo. Um, and so that meant it was very windy, rainy, and much cooler than expected. Right. Still very humid. But so for me, instead of trying to stay cool before the race, I was trying to stay warm. Right. Okay. I mean, the fact that I had like two towels on me, a big raincoat, shoes, and I walked down onto the pontoon with all of that on wow. because I didn't want to get cold before I started. 
Okay. In a race in Tokyo. Like that thought never crossed my mind. Yeah. But anyway, you just adapt to the conditions you get on race day. Um, and then, yeah, the race itself, I mean, I knew the swim was a make it or break it moment um, with just the likes of, you know, Jessica Lermont, Katie Zafiris, um, Georgia Taylor Brown. Sure. All really good swimmers. And I knew if I missed that little group, then I was going to have a really tough day ahead of me. Okay. So again, swim was key. And luckily I got out great and immediately felt really good. Okay. And kind of from there, when you can set yourself up with a, with a really good swim in, you know, in the front group, that just gives you options. Right, for the okay. rest of the race. Okay. Uh, I mean, um, what, what, what do you mean by kind of options? Because, I mean, from a tactical point of view, I mean, I, I kind of understand cycling, but from a triathlon point of view, so what, what do you mean specifically by options there? So by options there, I mean you um, – the race can just continue to play out in different ways. Like you're in the front group, you're in the bike, so you're being chased – Sure. So okay. yes, you want to try and stay away, but um, if for whatever reason you don't, and everyone catches up, you know they've worked so much harder to come and get catch you to shut the gap. Yeah, right. Whereas, and then you know, then you can just have more time to think. Uh, I don't know about getting onto the run as fresh as possible. Um, but you know, if you come out of the water forty seconds back, you're just on the back foot, right? Yep. Versus you're in that front group and you see who you're with and you're rolling turns and riding nicely together. Again, yeah, it, it just gives you options, sets the race up better, and you're more in a position of control, Yep. I think. Okay. Um, so anyway, I just knew that was very important. And turns out, you know, it was. That was the race. And, um, yeah, onto the bike on a technical course that was in the rain, very wet roads. Um you know, luckily I've raced in those sorts of conditions before and could really back my technical skills, but it was probably the most intense bike I've ever done because, right. I mean, you're just so focused on not crashing, Yeah. you know, not messing up your line because there's so much on the line. Um, and so, you know, once I knew what our gap was to the second, to the chase group, that was kind of my first sign of like, okay, whoever's going to win the medals is in this group and I'm yeah. here. Yeah, sure. And like, yeah, that was like kind of a cool moment, but then quickly back into like serious focus. So then it wasn't until we were off the bikes and I started the run and could just tell how I could feel that uh, I kind of knew this was going to be good. Right, okay, right. But... <laughs> I must say, I've yes, I've like led and won some fairly big events, but nothing compares to leading the Olympics. Yeah, and kind of knowing you're going to win this, and yeah. you still have like eight k's to run. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> you know, I know you're clearly just reliving the experiences. I mean, I can't see you. This is audio only, but that little laugh, that little smile, you're clearly kind of there again and enjoy reliving the moment. And yes, no doubt you've yeah. done this a lot because it, 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 obviously it's changed your life. But, you know, having you know, never won an Olympic medal, but having been in a good position in races before, 
but with a crowd, I know there were, I don't know if there's a lot of crowd around, but did you have to manage that kind of, cause when you feel good and positive to a certain degree, you get these kind of adrenaline spikes, which can, which can be great, but they can also be detrimental if you then drop off again. So how did you, did you change your strategy um, when you were in front? Did you, or were you aware they were chasing behind or, or were you just kind of driven by this wave of positivity and confidence that that leading position gave you? How did you manage though the final part? Because 8K is a, lot, is a lot of running, isn't it? You, <laughs> yeah. if, you go to, if you go too quick, you blow, you know, they'll soon come back, you know. So how did you kind of manage the, the, final, the final straight for want of a better word? Yes, it's, yeah, man, it's quite a thing. Um, so I guess to go back, if I, I did the first lap, 2.5K, so it's the four laps of 2.5K. It went out hard, but a controlled hard. I knew I had a really good run form, so I could back that. Yep. And I felt good. Like, you know, when you're on those days, where you're like, wow, everything has just lined up for me today. My training, yep. and I'm just like here, fully present, feeling good. Yeah. Um. So I got through the first lap and then, you know, I could sort of, I could tell what the gaps were because there's a lot of U-turns. There wasn't much of a crowd. There was a little bit, but not what you would expect at Olympics. Of course. COVID. Yeah. So you definitely heard your thoughts more. Okay. That's interesting. Um, you know, there yeah. was no like this outside noise to really block it out. Yeah. Um, so um, for myself... I just really had to try and stay present. I was engaged with the race, running hard. Yeah. But think about other things. So I started to think a lot about maybe, maybe some like biomechanical things I know I have to work on, um, some running cues. Yeah. Um, then I started like counting down the aid stations I had left. Okay. Just anything to like distract my mind, keep myself engaged, but not think that, oh my gosh, I'm leading the Olympics and I'm going to win. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't really allow that to creep into my mind until um, it's probably about eight hundred meters, nine hundred meters to go. There's there was a coaching area right. where they could hand us fluids or whatever if we needed, and my husband was there. Right. <laughs> and so that was the first time I allowed a smile, and then kind of from there, as I made my way to the finish and onto the blue carpet, just sort of slowly allowed those thoughts to enter my mind that Brilliant. I was winning this and it was really happening. Um, yeah, which is pretty <laughs> crazy. And honestly, I don't even know if I could fully take in the moment then. No. Cause you're just like, I don't know. You're like, this is so crazy. At one point you're like, I want to slow down and just cherish this. But at the same point I was like, I just want to get to that finish line. So this can be over <laughs> and I yeah. can like, you know, be like, yes, I'm the Olympic champion. I suppose, I mean, the fact because you you had a you'd built up you know in in triathlon terms you know a reasonably com comfortable for want of a better word because obviously hurt you you know although you're on a good day a reasonable comfortable lead so at one point as you say 800 meters ago you knew unless something catastrophic happened you're going to win so I guess you know it afforded you this kind of this moment or these this, this kind of moment in time where you could kind of savor it and and uh, and in some sports that doesn't happen if in a photo finish it, it all happens afterwards but to still be in the event and know that you've got the medal must be you know it's something that's quite rare and obviously more in endurance sports but you know something that i guess you'll treasure and, and will always be you know etched in in your in your mind won't it yes yeah i mean <laughs> I, I was really lucky that i had about a minute or so 
gap to second place. Mm. So yeah, I could enjoy my blue carpet moment <laughs> yeah. and enjoy running down the finishing sheet at the Olympics and seeing the finished gantry and the banner just like there and not worrying about someone behind me, just like being fully present of, yeah, I'm going to grab that tape and I'm going to win that and is- have my moment. And yeah, it's very special. It's, it's magnificent. I mean, one thing I, I you know, doing, doing my research and, and looking at uh, your your kind of build up just over the years in terms of your skill set, I think, as well as your physiology, quite clear. Um, there's no doubts about that. But I'm intrigued with your involvement. Well, you're five times world champion at Xterra. And I know that you ride a mountain bike a lot, especially when, well, I'd imagine doing it in Boulder, but a lot when you're in South Africa. And I think it's fair as an outsider to say there's quite often a perception amongst um, from the outside, especially from the road world, road cycling world, that triathletes aren't overly can you know there's a the skill set can be criticised again a, a little bit in terms of their bike riding skills. But for you, looking at the way you you can handle a bike, a mountain bike, especially and clearly a road bike, that translating over to a ridiculously technical bike section of the Olympic Games. Uh, I know there's descriptions out of the way that you, your bike handling was it was amazing. Um, do you think? that the Xterra stuff has really helped, obviously, with your bike game and, and your confidence on a bike? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, Xterra definitely helped with my confidence, sure, riding a bike, riding a different bike, a mountain yeah, bike, yeah, and getting very comfortable on that. Mm. And then it's almost like where you're like, well, what do I do on a mountain bike? And the, some of the, you know, the corners I take or drops or jumps or whatever, and then you'll think, oh, well, on the roads it looks pretty uh, – quite nice <laughs> yes yeah, it's pretty straight Rel- relatively straightforward <laughs> yeah 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 um yes yeah, so I, I suppose in, in one side it's just maybe like you're, you're right you're broadening your skill base yeah and getting comfortable on different bikes and i think and getting comfortable in different situations and i think in that sense um it can help with your road bike handling yeah um, just the feel of the bike and getting used to how they feel under you, how they react to different surfaces. Um, you know, I think Xterra definitely helped me um, build a lot of those skills, which I've been able to transfer into my um, road triathlon racing. Yeah. Um, but And yeah, to keep me yeah very comfortable on the bike. And I think also a part of that, which is maybe a bit lesser known, but I when I first got to Colorado – in 2009, I went to University of Colorado and I raced on their cycling team. Okay. And so I did so much local racing, crits. And I mean, in Boulder, there's so many great cyclists. So again, I kind of threw myself into that world and really developed my cycling skills. Right. And then alongside what I was doing on the off-road, yeah, they really complemented each other nicely. Tell me, and- get very comfortable on a bike and which- sure on the one day when I absolutely needed it at the Olympics in treacherous conditions, I was there very comfortable and confident on my bike. Yeah. And, which um, is massive. Oh, oh massively. Yeah. Enormously. I, I, again, I was watching some of your Instagram videos and, and, and you're, you're pretty happy riding a bike through the air as well as on, as on the, ta- as on the tarmac <laughs> uh, and on the, and on the dirt, which is like, it's, I'll be, you know, be honest, be blunt with you. It's not something you often associate with triathletes. So that, that's really, really cool. And, and again, you know, every element of what you do is fun, but I think it's fair to say that there's, there's, there's something else about mountain biking, which is a bit of a tonic, isn't it? You, you get a oh, yeah. ridiculous workout, obviously, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? 
Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. Especially, <laughs> yeah. so I spend part of the year in Stellenbosch, South Africa, yeah. and they have some of the best mountain biking. I mean, in the summer there, so many European mountain bikers come down. So it's this town just full of amazing mountain bikers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time riding trail. See, my husband, Dan, used to ride ex- race Xterra. So that kind of got me into it. And um, yeah, I just have a really yeah great time riding my mountain bike. Uh, I will say that in the little bit, well, in about the year leading into the Olympics, actually, no, maybe only like six months, I tried to ride my mountain bike a little bit less on a tough single track, you know, I was a little bit more, uh, what, what would the word be? Um, kind of circumspect, cautious, perhaps because of cautious, cautious. There we go. Yes. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe you, you don't need to do that single track and take those little jumps, Flora. Just, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, stay on the dual track. We've got yeah. a big coming up. <laughs> that's cool. That, that, that's really, really cool. Um, uh, right. We're, we're going to change tact, and um, I'm going to try something we've never tried in the Unplugged podcast before, Flora. I hope you don't mind being um, a guinea pig, if that's okay. Um, I don't know what kind of pets you like, but uh, on this occasion, um, I've, I've come up with something called the One Word Answer Quiz. Ooh, okay. The One Word Answer Quiz, quiz, quiz. No expense spared, uh, Flora, on the budget for our jingles there. Um, but basically, <laughs> okay, I have five questions, okay, and you're only allowed one word to answer these questions, okay? So, so what, what word comes into your head when I give you these questions, okay? And it's so take your time. There's no rush. Um, I would imagine some words might pop straight into your head. Others might require a little bit of consideration. So five questions. Um, happy with that? Yes. Great stuff. Okay. Number one, ultimate post-training snack. Ooh. <laughs> um, I guess this can be two words if it's, a, if it's a food or a kind of dish, you know, so I'll allow you a little bit of lateral play. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe hamburger <laughs> and fries. Oh, I didn't expect that answer. But hamburger. That's, for, right, that's oh. my post race race okay. meal. So that's what I just kind of you know put them together. Nice. Oh, what what in the hamburger? What 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 do you, do you like a salad relish? What what kind of filling? But you, you a cheese cheese woman? Do you, or do you like a bit of bacon? How do you kind of go for it? No, maybe just cheese, lettuce, tomato. It's weird. I'm actually not a huge meat eater, but okay. I love a good burger and fries. Lovely. That's good to know. Good to know. Okay. Ketchup. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're making me hungry now. I've already had. I've already had lunch as well. What are you doing to me? Right. Here we go. Right. This. This one again. I'm. 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 I'm intrigued to see what you're going to say here. Question number two. One word. Swim, bike, or run. Bike. Oh. I only took about three seconds. Okay. There we go. Um, interesting. Um, okay. Why? Um, because I can ride many bikes between my road bike, mountain bike, TT. And options, options, fun. choice. Options, exactly. Yes. We all like, we all like choice, don't we? We all like choice. Yep. Great one. Okay. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. Number three, in one word, your outlook on life. Ooh. 
from burgers to um, yeah, being quite profound. <laughs> um, fun. Fun. Brilliant. I do know what I, I would share that. I think if I had to give an answer, that's what I would say as well. So mm. great answer. Question number four, Flora. It's a one word question and I want a one word answer. Bermuda. Ooh, beautiful. I think the Bermudans listening to this ultimate will be very happy with that uh, <laughs> alongside your gold medal, of course. Uh, final question, one word answer, winning Olympic gold in one word. Magical. Magical. I, do you know what? I think we're going to get our live studio audience to give you a round of applause. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Um, well done. Uh, I quite enjoyed that. Did you enjoy that? <laughs> yeah, that was nice. It's always quite... you're a bit nervous to be put on the spot like that. Yeah, sorry. Um, but I, I wanted to give you a little bit. Yeah, but but well done. You handled that well. And I think yeah, I might I run that. It. You did handle it very, very well. So, oh, we've got another random question random coming. Question I didn't alert. I didn't even tee this one up. <laughs> sorry. It is um, time for a random question. Okay. Right. Oh, God. Okay, <laughs> that's making me laugh. This one, Flora. Um, if all if all animals were horse sized, which would be the best to ride? <laughs> oh my gosh! I know. I bet you came on this podcast <laughs> thinking it just be a bunch of regular questions, didn't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> if all animals were horse sized, what would be the best to ride? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is definitely something I've never thought about before. Yeah, I, 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 again, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one myself. <laughs> um, gosh, um, maybe like a bunny rabbit or something. A bunny like rabbit. A bound along. <laughs> a giant bunny rabbit. I think that would be quite, can you imagine though? what that would be like. Imagine just kind of just, how do you, do you would, do, would it need a saddle? Would you hold on to the ears? I mean, what would you do? I don't know. No, definitely need a little saddle. I guess you could hold on to the ears. You know yeah. what? That popped into my head because in my, my yard, we have lots of like, I guess they're like wild bunnies. Right, just like okay. hang out. And so I see them every day. So I don't know why that was fresh on my head of riding a giant one. You know, they hop around and they're so agile, but I guess a they giant are. one wouldn't be. I, I guess anyway. you, you'd really, you'd, I think you'd need more than the saddle floor. I, I think you'd need like a harness because if they did do like one of their particularly big hops or, oh, or like God, a, yeah. or when they popcorn, you know, and they, they popcorn and they, they kind of go sideways in the air. Um, oh my God, they do. They do. Yeah. You'd need, it, I think it'd still be great fun. I think you might need some sort of crash helmet system going on as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full body armor. Yeah. Yeah. De yeah definitely oh full body gosh. armor. Um, if we had enough budget, I think what we do, we'd probably get one of our, um, our tech guys to, to, to kind of render this um, and, put, and put it when, when we put it on social media. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's another thing. But great answer. A bunny rabbit will be fantastic stuff. <laughs> Who knows? In the future, they might be able to ge genetically modify a giant oh, rabbit. Gosh. And one day, uh, as you approach retirement, you can ride one and we can film it. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, we, we kind of, we've, we've got an another, another few minutes and I've just got a couple of other, back down to earth from fantasy land, um, Flora. It's been a lovely, really lovely conversation. But um, when you look back over, um, 
over your career um, so far? Obviously, you know, it's kind of, you've had an amazing few years, but how have you changed as a person over the course of your of your athletic career when you, when you look back now? Um, or have you changed as a person? I mean, invariably, we all do. Um, but, but how do you think you've changed if you were to kind of look internally a little bit? Ooh. Um, yeah, that is quite a, a pivot from my hmm. giant bunny rabbit. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I guess in what, you know, one that sort of just, I guess, has happened naturally is as as I've um, done the sport, I've, you know, obviously gotten a lot more serious with it and paid a lot more attention to the details. And um, I guess in a way, you know, got a lot more confident yep. in the sport and, um, you know, narrowing my life to, to get, you know, to allow me to be in a place where I can train and be able to perform um, at the top level. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's, I think that's pretty normal with, with most athletes as they get kind of more serious throughout their career. Um, but I think, yeah, the biggest thing that's changed for me is that, um, I guess, yeah, I've just gotten a lot, I've kind of touched on this, a lot, a lot more confident and comfortable in the space yeah. that I'm in as being a professional athlete with lots of expectation and pressure and just embracing all that comes with it. Whereas if I had to deal with this at 20 years old, I would not be able to, I just right. didn't have the tools and the team around me. Yeah. So I think that's the, you know, the biggest thing that's changed is comfortable in the space, building a team around me, taking initiative of what, I want and need and not being afraid to do that. Yeah. Um, which just sort of naturally happened as my career has progressed. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and what about, I mean, again, just to sort of spin off from that in terms of when you look back, I guess in cycling and triathlon and sport in general, the kind of technology that we all have access to now and the open, not just the open source information in relation to diet physiology, but the kind of hard tech over the last decade has changed massively, hasn't it? That can really help enhance this. I'm talking about stuff like like Zwift. Talking about stuff like obviously you're partnered up with uh, with Hammerhead as well. So are you, are you a bit of a a tech kind of person? And how has that kind of helped you? Or and do you enjoy that that side of things? Because um, sometimes. I mean, I know a lot of athletes love the kind of metric side of it and because it is, I think whether you like it or not, it's massively important, especially when you look back at your your, you know, your improvements and your levels of fitness. But um, do you like that side of things? Are you interested in that sort of stuff? Hmm, I, I would say yes and no. I hmm. mean, my coach definitely loves all the metrics. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, then I think about it like yesterday, I went for an easy spin and it doesn't matter what my watts are. It's just an easy sure. spin. But I was yeah. like, oh, power meter has to be connected to the Karoo too. Have to be able to see that while I'm riding. Yeah. And I'm like, Flora, this is an easy ride. So I guess in some sense, I am a bit of a like, you know, want to see my numbers, want to see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I'm not like a huge um, tech, uh, tech nerd. However, I will say with my... What, what I've really loved about my career too is it has, I think, all of the features, I'd say all of the features for everyone to absolutely 
geek out over. Yeah. But then from myself, who likes the more simple, it has that all perfectly nicely laid out, super easy to use. Um, And it's like a very, I don't know, high tech piece of equipment that's user friendly. And that to me is like perfect. Now you've got my attention and I can very much enjoy using it. Yeah. And and what about, you know, um, I know a lot of triathletes do use Swift for training. I know there's one or two athletes that actually train exclusively on the bike on Swift. What about you? I mean, I, I, although I, I see you riding outside a lot on all sorts of bikes, as we've just talked about, but what about the Swift side of things? Yes, I do spend a lot of time on Swift. That I was doing a little bit um, prior to COVID and then COVID hit. Actually, three weeks before I would say we went into a lockdown in South Africa at the end of March or maybe the beginning of March, end of March, I broke my hand. And so I had to ride in, indoors for three weeks. Right. And then we went into a lockdown and I couldn't leave my house. So then I rode in, inside for nine weeks straight, which be a few years ago would be like impossible. How would you yeah. do that? But then with yeah. Swift, I don't know. I just got on every day. Road, saw some friends, rode yeah. in different virtual worlds, and um, yeah, just absolutely loved it. And it's been amazing how much more I've incorporated that in my training. Right. Um, now that I have the opportunity, I can ride outside if I want. But no, I mean, I still often do choose to ride on Zwift. Um, I mean, it's great to get a good, you know, it can be very time efficient to get a workout done, yeah. you know, yeah. riding inside. And then, of course, the big factor is safety. Yeah, yeah. Um, the roads are pretty scary, and I'm like, well, I can ride inside virtually. It's, you know, great, and I know yeah, I'm getting yeah. a good workout. So, yeah, there's a lot of bonuses to it, and something I've definitely enjoyed and very grateful um, to use that platform. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been it's been a boon, isn't it? It really, really has. I mean, just looking kind of backwards and forwards here, kind of weirdly. I mean, I know you've got a BA in, in sociology. Um, my first question in relation to that, what made you choose a sociology as, as a subject to choose, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I got, when I arrived here at the University of Colorado, I was very lost because I'd come from like the British system and yep. then thrown into the American system, which is completely different. Yep. So I really had no idea what I was doing, but knew I wanted to study something that didn't have to do with sport. I loved that I could go to university and I wasn't Flora Duffy the triathlete, I was just Flora. Right. And so that was um, a big part of it. And then, I don't know, I took a few sociology classes. I love the broad range that you could take and just thoroughly enjoyed it. Had lots of cool professors. And so, yeah, eventually decided to uh, major in it and yeah. loved it. Absolutely loved it. What I will do with it, I have no idea, but I loved it at the time. And yeah, it was a very fun few years of my life. As, 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 as the subject sociology, of course, is, is, is broad, isn't it? It's very, very broad. But is there with a lot of key kind of elements to it? But is any of that, of any of your learnings there? Because I'm always, I'm always really interested in, in the kind of the intellectual side of, of, of study and, then, and, and also experience in different environments outside sport and then how you can bring those back in almost subconsciously into sport uh, to understand um, behaviors, your own, other people's. Has there has there been any kind of overlap? Is there anything that you're aware of? I mean, you might not necessarily be aware of it, but is there anything that you kind of learned or became aware of that helped you in what you're doing from an athletic perspective, from an academic side? 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've ever really thought of that too extensively. I mean, maybe like subconsciously without me sort of realizing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess because you can, you, you know, sort of studying people's behaviors and a little bit of that fits in with sociology. Um, so maybe a tiny bit, but yeah. I will say I kind of like started to more gravitate towards like the criminology side of things. Ah, right. Okay. Broad of sociology. Yeah. I really kind of got into that. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that, that's Maybe. intriguing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, it's it's not something you kind of directly correlate, but I guess it's more kind of subconscious, isn't it? And and the thing about triathlon, it's a very, very individual sport, isn't it? You know, although you, you kind of rivals around them and you kind of will look for signs of weakness, et cetera, or worry about the signs of kind of strength, ultimately it's it's you, isn't it? It's The, the focus is, is quite internal um, in, uh, in triathlon. But it's interesting that you... And chose criminology, also uh, because I, I was a police officer for, for many years before doing oh, cool. doing this sort of stuff. So, um, what intrigues you about the crim- the criminology side? Is it is it just the way that human beings? Is it the kind of is it the kind of forensic side of investigation, or is it more our, the kind of psychology involved in criminal acts? Or what, what what is it? Yeah, I guess a bit of both, and maybe how like. The law interacts with different members of society depending on, I mean, you know, your socioeconomic status, your skin color. Yeah. You know, all of that is just fascinating and obviously quite (laughs) tragic in some regards. Um, So, you know, I guess I found that a very, you know, interesting topic to, to discuss and to listen to my lecturers talk about. And then... I think also a large part comes comes down to like your professors. I had some really interesting professors in sort of the criminology classes that I chose to take. And I can remember one, um, kind of aggressive, but uh, he, <laughs> he, he was working on a case in Colorado. Yeah. And the death penalty was involved. Whoa. And so, uh, you know, the, just talking about, you know, all of that goes along with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously it's quite a hectic topic but i don't know i guess i found it very gripping and, and interesting yeah to but, to talk about and all that goes along with it because there's so much more right yeah and uh so yeah i think yeah a lot of it came down to i find it a fascinating subject and then had really great professors you could go to class and you weren't just sitting there like oh counting down the minutes it was like really gripping and compelling discussion no definitely and obviously I, I, learning and sort of broadening my views. Fantastic. That's. I think that's. Uh, would be echo. I mean, it, you, you, we all generally, well, not generally, we all learn far far better. We absorb more when we're actually gripped by a subject. Um, and and but often saying that a subject matter can be gripping, but if you don't have a, a good tutor, a teacher, or a lecturer, you're kind of lost, aren't you? You need to be hooked and, 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 and drawn in, don't you? By by the way it's told. I think, um, and that can be the same for kind of coaches as well. Sometimes, can't it? You know, it's a you need to have a relationship with the person that's giving you this information. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I think I'm. You know, I'm very lucky that you know my coach and I have a very good relationship, and um, it's nice that yeah we have a conversation that. You know, he writes a training plan, but allows my input to be to be added, and I very much have a seat at sort of like the table, which is sure. really nice and something yeah. 
at my point in my career really enjoy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. no, that, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, I guess that comes with when you become more confident, you kind of want to be involved a little bit more in, in the decision making process and in relation to what you're doing, because you start to ask questions, don't you? And when you're young, you don't question as much. You just do it, don't you? But as you get older yeah, correct. and you, bec- you yeah. become empowered, you're like, well, well, that's cool. But can you just explain why you kind of need that, don't you? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you, you, totally. It's um, it is interesting. I mean, we've we've nearly been chatting for an hour. Um, I'm sure we could do two, but we do have to wrap things up. So the last thing I'd like to ask you, Flora, and it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and we have gone off on some really, really different tangents, which I always love to do. But um, I think it's quite important actually. We end it with with this. Can you tell me about the the, the Flora Fund? Um, cause you, you've, you, I know you're very grateful to the people that have supported you and organizations, businesses that uh, have supported you over the years. So tell me about the Flora Fund so, so other people know about it and, and its importance, its kind of relevance to you. Yeah. So the Flora Fund I launched in 2018 and, um, it's just sort of like my way of giving back to the community of Bermuda there. So the, the, the fund focuses on, um, helping you know, aspiring youth athletes in Bermuda. So yeah. whether that is, you know, you are pursuing a dream, you want to be a professional athlete, or you just need help with your local swim club fees or football fees or, you know, whatever it may be, if, if it's large or small. And yeah, so it's just my way of giving back because I realized there were so many people in Bermuda and my parents, of course, that had to help me get to where I am financially. Yeah. 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 And that's not possible for everybody. So I thought, okay, I have this platform and these abilities. So I created a fund and that just to help, yeah, help keep kids in sport longer, whether that means they pursue sport full time, whether it opens doors for their education or, you know, whether it just keeps them fun and it's a great um, social activity, um, whatever it may be. But yeah, just to help um, fill in the gaps of, um, whatever financial need there was to keep young athletes in Bermuda in sport. That's fantastic. I think that's a lovely way um, to wrap things up as well. So um, what's, well, the last question is what's next for you, Flora? What, what's next on the horizon? Obviously you've got this, this trip to Bermuda in a few weeks, which you're clearly going to love, but what's next on the horizon um, in terms of um, um, your kind of focus? Yes. And next, so I have, yes, the trip to Bermuda, very excited for, but actually this weekend I'm doing the final Super League race in Malibu, California. Okay. And that's my first Super League event. So I'm very excited for that. And uh, then after that, I will do the final world triathlon event in Abu Dhabi in the beginning of November. And then fingers crossed, Xterra Worlds in Maui, December 5th. Okay. But that one, we're, I don't know about with COVID, with Kona being can't postponed, who knows? So fingers crossed. So a few fun races coming up, which, yeah, I'm really looking forward to and, and feel excited to race again. So that's really exciting and a nice space to go into a race. Great stuff. Well, you best of luck in, in those, in those races and, uh, um, and enjoy yourself uh, and, and, and yeah. Uh, relax when, when you head to Bermuda because I'm sure that's going to be um, very very <laughs> special indeed and, uh, and and again once again thanks for your time Flora it's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, and hopefully our paths will cross again in the future yeah perfect thank you very much for having me on 
Wonderful stuff. I really enjoyed our chat. And we could have gone on for hours, really. Felt like we were just warming up. Maybe I should ask her back for two more episodes and make a Bermuda trilogy. Trilogy? Trilogy? Anyway, luckily I resisted throughout the interview, though. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you, as ever, for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to the bunny rabbits in your garden, if you have any, especially if they're the size of horses. Again, a massive thanks again to Flora for joining us on the podcast today. Hope she enjoyed her trip back to Bermuda and a deservedly warm welcome. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.